I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast to help you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. And today is part two in the dairy series. That's in right. the dairy fat series, really. Okay, nice. Okay, but before we start, I have to confess my sins and make an apology. Okay. Okay, so last You're, week, I forgive you. Thanks. You <laughs> That's so sweet. Before I even admit it. So last week, Clarissa came and asked us about the butter. Oh, yes. And then then I was pretty sure our other friend, Caíbe, who's a Brazilian, right? He's from Brazil, biochemist. I believe so. Um, He's a biochemist. Uh-huh. And I thought he had asked about whipped cream. So I went back to look at his question about whipped cream. And actually, he had asked word for word the exact same question that Clarissa had asked. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. So she asked milk, and he he specified cream. Right. Which right. is probably why I got confused. Right. So then I went to our Gmail to see, like, did somebody else ask about whipping cream? So I typed in cream. Uh-huh. And lo and behold, in an email from November of 2021, Kaiba had already wow. asked us about the butter situation. Dang. Okay. So not only did I ignore that request, it got lost to the um, emails of time, but also <laughs> when someone else made it the same week that he remade it, I gave them all the credit and totally yeah, forgot. Yeah, dang it. So I'm sorry. I messaged him personally and apologized. Nice. I saw a response come in. I was like, I don't know what that's about, but now it makes sense. Now you know. Also, I love that the phrase, the emails of time has come out of <laughs> this scenario. There's at least one silver lining or two. One, we got the episode happened anyway. Yes. Even though it was a little bit later and yes. and we didn't give him credit too. So we're doing that now. But then second, the emails of time. Emails of time. Yep. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. It, it just came out of nowhere. It's sort of like the sands of time. Or, or the like, annals of yes, time. This idea of like things building up and covering up over history. Like yeah. The fossils get covered. I mean, the, November of 2021 yeah. was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't even have a PhD then. Me neither. You neither. I, I still don't, but you know. <laughs> um, okay, so then the second part of that is I'm pretty sure that someone did ask me about whipped cream. Okay. Other than Kaiba. And I don't know who that person is. So if that's you... And you're like, it was me. I was a question asker. Please let me know. Reach out. I searched our email, couldn't find anything. I wish we could search Instagram inboxes. I don't know why that's a feature that doesn't exist, mm. but it really should be. But it's not. So if that's you, let me know in the future. So today is whipped cream? Is that you said? Today is whipped cream. We're going to answer the question that I thought that he asked that maybe someone else asked. Okay. Okay, so are you ready for it? I'm ready, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so just as a reminder that we know that in whole milk that comes directly from the cow, there's water, protein, fat, vitamins, minerals, and sugar. Uh And the sugar is lactose. Right. Some people aren't intolerant of that. And then when it goes to, you know, a dairy processing plant, it gets pasteurized and separated out. And the higher fat content is cream. Okay. And we talked about in butter how there's, well, I guess we talked about to make butter in the cream layer that has a higher percent of fat in it. These individual fat globules, when they're manually stirred, will sort of break open and allow each other to find each other and interconnect Mm -hmm. and and make a solid butter. Yeah. So whipped cream 
is basically butter that hasn't fully buttered yet. Okay. It's like a transient state between butter and cream. Huh. Interesting. What do you know about whipped cream? Do you make it? Do you think about it ever? I mean, I guess I have made it before. Um, and I've used whipping cream and stuff and sometimes I've had to actually whip it. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I think I kind of just thought it was the like creating little bubbles of air. Right. That was the secret. And I didn't really, th- I guess I probably would have guessed that there's not much other stuff changing. There's definitely little bubbles of air in it. That's true. But there's little bubbles in air in lots of different water or lots of different liquids. So right. what do you think it is about the, the the whipping cream that makes it not just be bubbles dissolved in the liquid? Um, there's more of them. And also the substance is such where it can like handle the bubbles and keep them like mm. obviously water on its own can have bubbles in it, but they're, they're kind of thin and it might not support a structure of bubbles, but something about whipped cream being different, probably the fat allows if you create a bunch of bubbles that it can actually handle them and have the bubble structure around mm-hmm. it or something without, yeah. just, without just collapsing. That's really close. I, I mean, you got most of the ideas. Good job. What, I guess what off the cuff I can't figure out is like, you know, I would think fat, oils, that kind of stuff wouldn't inherently be better at that. Especially thinking like, you think of that as heavier, you know? I mean, I think most of us would. Yeah. Just assume it's sort of heavier. Then you might think, okay, the chemical level, why wouldn't water be great at that? <laughs> you know? That's a good question. I think the reason water isn't great at that is because it can't make an interlinked network. Mm, interlinked. So that's what we're going to get into today. So that was a good, that was a good um, critical thinking to, to guess what was happening. Good job. Whenever my students are like, oh, I just totally BS that. I'm like, did you BS that? Or did you use the information you already have to draw a conclusion that's somewhat logical? Right, right. And that is just critical thinking. Right, which some of us might use that term kind of loosely, like, mm-hmm. but taking an educated guess or taking a guess with the knowledge I have is probably, yeah, more accurate. But yeah, taking a taking a guess with knowledge you have is not just BSing; it's making an educated guess. It's using critical thinking skills. So that's what you just did. Good job. Nice. Okay. Okay. So, whipped cream is a foam, and foams are essentially just dispersions of gas in liquid. Okay. It's usually prepared using a foaming agent. That's a dispersion of gas in a liquid prepared using a foaming agent is a direct quote from one of our sources. And in this case, it is air that's dispersed among the contents of the cream, right? Just like you said. But there is something that gives it a structure. Um, and initially, I, I found this really cool paper from 1986 that... It was kind of spicy. <laughs> it was like, okay, so they took a, is it a scanning electron microscope to look at the structure of the cream as it was forming. So like the literal title of the paper is the development of, no, that's a different one. It's, oh, sorry. <laughs> I lost it. 
the development of structure in whipped cream. Okay. So it literally talks about how does the structure get there, which is a gold mine. I was so excited to find it. It's kind of an older paper, but in the paper he talked about, it kind of seemed like he was throwing a little bit of shade. Like, <laughs> well, up till now we've looked at the final structure and that's great, but it doesn't really tell us how things happen. And we're just kind of making assumptions, mm. which is, is such a niche high drama situation. Yeah. Like in that academic community, I'm betting when that came out, people were kind of mad about it. <laughs> Maybe that's what I like to imagine. Uh-huh. They, they're like, we, what? you know, we thought we knew we were just doing the best we had with what we had, whatever. And he's yeah. like, ha ha. I got it. <laughs> that was my imagination. It's like a high level of niche drama. Uh-huh. Um, just a little bit of academic spice, you know, but essentially <laughs> yeah. he looks at, he like, well, would, I think he would freeze a sample and look at it under a scanning electron microscope after like 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 50 seconds of whipping cream. Uh-huh. And what he actually found is, no, there's already air dispersed in milk. Right. And so what makes it different or in cream, what makes this different is first, it seems like the air bubbles are actually stabilized with the protein in milk. Okay. So they kind of get protein coming around the outside of the air bubbles. And you remember we talked about how the protein in milk is kind of cool. Yes. It's like acts as what they call an emulsifying agent, which allows for, um, the emulsion to form, like allows the mixing of oil and water. Right, right. And so in this case, it seemed like that protein forms at the interface between the air and the water. Or the protein like takes up, takes up a spot uh-huh. at the interface between the air and the water, or the, the cream content. And for some reason, that is the key step to then allow the fat to come and interact at the interface between the air bubble this water air membrane type of thing uh-huh. and surround it. Okay. And it's the same thing that happens in butter where these individual flat fat globules initially in the first 10 to 20 seconds, they're minding their own business still. And the air bubbles are starting to, you know, be surrounded by proteins. And then the fat is able to, as it starts to break open from those globules and interact with each other, it starts to surround the air bubbles with the protein acting almost as a bridge and then interlinking. So it's forming those, I think it's intermolecular forces, but it could be one source did say cross-linking, which would indicate maybe an actual bonding, but I think it's more intermolecular forces to kind of make a network. And so it reminded me of (laughs) the visual I have in my head is Almost like, you know, when people zoom in on your brain and they have all the like little neurons connected and it's like this whole big network mm-hmm. or like, it looks like a bunch of string all over the place, yes. you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, I, and imagine, I imagine it looking like that, but actually in this paper, there are pictures of it developing, which is so cool, huh. um, from the scanning electron microscope. But essentially you can envision an air bubble with a protein film around it. And then around that, a fat layer with tendrils, you know, coming out and connecting to other fat layers that are surrounding other air bubbles. Uh-huh. So they all start to interconnect and form a some somewhat of a structure. Interesting. So it is very much like the first stage in what's going to happen to the butter. Right, right. Because the butter forms that interlocking network, but... In butter, a lot of the air bubbles are collapsed and the fat molecules are closer together. Right, right. So it is 
very similar to butter, but it just isn't butter yet. Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> I guess here's a question I have off the top of my head that maybe is an obvious answer, but is this, so the fact that the protein allows the water and the fat oil to like interact, mm-hmm. is that basically the same reason then that a network of bubbles can form in soap or soap can interact with, uh, it's not a protein, but it can interact with both water and oil and create a, some structure that can hold bubbles or I guess you don't need the oil though. You're asking to create soap. You just need water and soap. You're asking about the bubbles and soap, like bubble bath, like where all those bubbles come from. Correct. That's a really good question. Those are the two bubbliest things I know of, you know? And I've been able to like, when I clean my milk frother thing, I can put some, some water and some soap in it and just run it on no heat. And it just like mixes around and makes this really fine. Taste, oh, that's tasty. satisfying. It looks tasty, but it is soap. So I'm not going to drink it. So it, it almost looks like whipped cream, but it's soap. Yes. Wow. I never thought about what makes the bubbles, like what in soap allows you to have that, like contain the bubbles basically. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you for asking that. Maybe we can put in a Q&R. Maybe so, or maybe we can make a whole episode about it. There we go. Yeah, because what makes those suds? What makes sudsiness? Surely that's somebody studied that. Yeah, surely. There's a lot of different types of chemistry, like surface chemistry. You know, I'm saying, oh, there's like these air bubbles and they're surrounded by protein. There are people who study the interface between the air and the liquid that really creates the bubble. Mm. Uh, But I didn't feel like that was super valuable for us to get into today. That was a really good question. I thought it was going to be like more on topic than it was. Or as I started asking it, I thought I started realizing like, oh, but you don't have to have oil present. So it's not like it's like the same thing. Yeah. Just changing out the milk protein for soap molecule. Suddenly I realized it wasn't quite the same. I mean, I do think that there's something in the soap that does capture air because um, I have done an experiment called elephant's toothpaste. You've done it too. Yes. And it basically is a rapid release of air that gets trapped kind of in the soap. And that then then it makes it foam up like that, you know? Yeah. And so I'm assuming that the principles underlying that are very similar. It's like mm. the air, very small air bubbles are suspended in this liquid. But I guess I don't, it's like I can't in my mind. A lot of times what I do to answer questions is I zoom in to the molecular level. <laughs> and I'm having a hard time zooming into the molecular level and thinking about, what is happening in soapy bubbles? Yeah. I'll have to think about it more. Sweet. That's a good question. I think that's a good episode for another day. So let me find my place here where we Sorry. are. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. No, that was really good. Okay. So I will say the protein part happens for the first 20 to 30 seconds. And then the proteins start to act as a bridge that allows the fat globules to start to connect okay. and um, interact with the air bubbles. Okay. So they facilitate the linking of the, of the air bubbles together, essentially via fat. You're just like locking these air bubbles into place uh-huh. with fat or into near each other. And one source phrased it, I think they described it well. It's air cells surrounded by a film containing fat droplets that are stabilized by a film of protein. And there's some clumping of the flat fat globules around the air cell. 
of the foam and the fat is partially solidified, which prevents it from collapsing. Ah, okay. So basically you have an air bubble. It's surrounded by fat, but also there's some protein that helps the fat be where it is. Uh And then the fat starts to um, connect with each other. Uh They start to clump. And then that fat that has started to become solidified because of the clumping helps it keep its shape. Okay. So essentially the fat is the stabilizing agent in the air dispersed in the cream. Mm. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So that's basically what whipped cream is. It's just a foam with air bubbles that are able to interact with proteins and then interact with fat using intermolecular forces. And then they are stabilized and that's whipped cream. Dang. Wow. But I will say the reliance on fat for the structure is why it, you can't let whipped cream get too hot. Right. Because the fat will melt. Yeah. And, you know, go to its liquid state, one. And then two, the fat being relied on for the the structure means that if you use colder things, Uh it will let the molecules move around less. And so they will be more solid when they're Mm. in their their whipped form. So if you use like a cold bowl and a cold beater or a cold whisk, that can help the um, interlinking process happen faster, which is counterintuitive because normally when we want molecules to interact with each other more, we put heat in to move around more Uh or manually moving it around. And then the cold is making the fat go from being liquidy to being solid. Mm. It's almost like you're almost freezing the fat. So that's why it helps it solidify. It doesn't really help the chemical processes as much as the physical going from a liquid to a solid. Right, right. And so that's it. I thought that was interesting. I've also heard something similar on the in the coffee world talking about sort of frothing milk, which wouldn't be making whipped cream, but is mm-hmm. some of the same things at play, that the heat thing makes a big difference. And you got to be really careful not to go too hot when you're trying to steam milk yeah. and froth it and stuff like that. There's kind of a sweet spot. Like obviously for a hot drink, you want it to be warm, Yeah. but you just can't go too warm yeah. or it really changes things and you can't get a good like froth and stuff. So that kind of connects to something I'd, from a you know different part of my brain. Yeah. Well, and one of our listeners, I think her name is Lynn, wrote in also about being a coffee lover and, and asking questions about why why you have to use what you use when you texturize milk, but I don't remember mm. what it was. So I was like, oh, that would be really good for our dairy series. But then, you know. Yeah. Then I haven't researched it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've so, also heard that if you get too hot, they can affect the proteins too. Denature it. And I think that's curdling, right? Oh, yeah, maybe so. I think denatured proteins is curdled milk. And I think. Well, I think you can boil milk at a under the proteins without it curdling, but it wouldn't be able to be frothed. So there's another thing that we can add is what's the curdle? Yeah. Because sometimes I will say like, oh, my whipped cream is curdling, but that's when it like looks like it's about to be butter. Mm, right, right, right. So maybe curdle is a specific thing where proteins get denatured and then clump back together in a different way. Right, right. Who knows? Look at all these questions coming yeah. up today. So many things. About milk and cream uh-huh. and whipped cream. So many things. Yeah. And bubbles. Lots of things. <laughs> um, I will say though, if you keep whipping whipped cream more and more before you add any sugar or anything, 
Um, the fat, fat globules will keep finding each other more and more, and the bubbles will either collapse or they'll be somewhat suspended in the in the suspension that is butter. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that's why I say whipped cream is like a transient state because it's not really solid, and it's not made to last indefinitely. It needs these like special conditions to form and stay formed. Mm-hmm. And if you go too far, then boom, it's butter. And if you don't go far enough, then it's just kind of like airy liquid. Right, right. It's not quite reached that stabilized foam yet. Like people say like the stiff peaks, you know? Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, that's what I that's what I learned. Dang, that's cool. Yeah. Do you want to take a stab at staying it back to me? I mean, there's not like a specific chemistry lesson. It's more like part two from last week's chemistry yeah. lessons. But it's helpful too because like I like that so many things were similar because mm-hmm. it also helps me remember and keep fresh from what we talked about last week. But I, yeah, so basically we talked about that on going from cream to butter requires helping break up the fat globules, mm-hmm. allow more fat to find each other. And there's still going to be some of the like other liquid, like the water and stuff like that and involved in that. And the protein helps them stay together in the first place. Mm-hmm. But when we get butter, we we still have some of that in there, but we've allowed more and more fat to find each other and form into a solidified, you know, more solid, more solidified thing. Yeah. And what we're kind of doing with with whipped cream is is stopping in the middle there and yeah. a crucial point where some of the globules have been able to be broken up mm-hmm. and some of the fat has been able to find each other mm-hmm. enough to have a structure that's that's good enough to to hold bubbles and be connected to each other kind of loosely without being a huge clump a huge group yeah. mm-hmm. but just enough where it can still like air can still be trapped in there and it not just fall in on itself and the protein still is allowing sort of fat in and water to interact and all the other stuff that's in there, sugar and stuff like that. Yeah. And if you get it in the sweet spot, then it's in this perfect scenario where, where it's not too liquidy. Yeah. Like it was, as it was just cream and not too buttery either. And it's in the sweet spot where it can suspend a bunch of, not suspend in the chemistry sense, but like in, Hold a bunch of air bubbles. I think that's suspend. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I thought suspension was like a another term you've used about like dissolve, sort of dissolving things, but not maybe. Anyway, not not to, not a rabbit trail. I was trying to go down, but create a structure that holds all that air in there. Yeah. And has a big fluffy takes a lot more space and can do that without falling in on itself. Yeah. And without being liquid and without being butter. If you think about it, it's so complicated because it's like, is this a fluid? Like, is this a liquid or is this a solid? It's more on the liquid side, you know, yeah. and and it has a underlying structure that it's like, this isn't, this isn't a solid, but it has a underlying structure that usually liquids don't have. Right. And so it is this like weird transition between solid and liquid that we're able to temporarily freeze and eat and it's delicious yeah it is delicious and there's something so pleasing about it being between states like that yeah 
that's like, I think obviously often a lot of us do chase something that's sort of novel or whatever. And it's like, whoa, this is different. So it's no surprise to me that somebody who discovered this at one point was like, Hey, this is cool. Let's find a use for like this, not quite butter and not, but not liquid anymore. Yeah. Substance. Let's add sugar to it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's the foaminess is just kind of pleasing. Yeah, it is pleasing. But which is weird, but it is. There was even a scientific paper where it said it's a extremely pleasing texture, I think is the <laughs> It was really funny. I was oh. working with a friend of mine and I was preparing this and I was like, I'm going to read you this sentence. And it was this big jargony sentence and all it meant was, if you whip dairy products, oftentimes you can incorporate air and it will be stabilized. <laughs> but it was like so... Like it's a roundabout way of yes. saying it. Yes. Yeah. I was like... Y'all need to get over yourselves and just write it in normal language. Also, but. I love that. Just that. Say the phrase again. Pleasing. Extremely pleasing texture. Yeah. I think. I, I love that because you can't really prove that. Nope. Because you could prove that it is pleasing to a some specific people. Individual. Yeah. Yeah. But I like that. It's like you can talk about the novelness of something. Yeah. I wonder if I could find it again. Unique, but like you really can't go quite so far as to say it is the texture is pleasing you yes. know you can say the texture is well i don't think they referenced it i think they said that it was a pleasing or satisfying or something texture but there's no reference like yeah we're trying to prove it, it right 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 yeah we're just stating it and assuming nobody's gonna fight us on yeah. this <laughs> i also wonder if they have to use more of the like somewhat fancy language to be taken seriously as dairy scientists like i right. wonder maybe not maybe dairy science is like a whole field that I just haven't really been exposed to. And mm -hmm. I mean, I was thinking about how complex all the different interfaces are and how much there's still to learn. Yeah. But who knows? Who knows? I was like, just speak in plain language, please. Seriously. So that we don't have to translate this into layman's terms. Right. It's like <laughs> you're being, you guys are being so serious. You're really lacking in <laughs> oh, no. normal normal everyday speak you know no that wasn't a good joke i'm not i won't laugh at that you can laugh for the both of us okay well that's it that's all i have for us this week do you have any uh anything fun that you'd like to share about what happened in your week yes this is a a one i've been meaning to share and i think i forgot a couple of times that it's like not that cool mm -hmm. but it's something i was like this is funny and interesting and and it might be something that other people would be interested in too but i over the past few weeks at some point was recommended on YouTube to watch a video from a British show that I feel like I'd heard about at some point, but like couldn't really remember where or when, but the show is called Taskmaster. Have you heard of the show? Oh, I think Mason likes that show. Yeah. I think Mason and I get recommended some similar stuff sometimes. Yeah, I think so. The algorithms are similar, but it is this very ridiculous show. And I've watched many clips now at this point where the uh, premise is simply that like there's this sort of character who is the taskmaster who like gives okay somewhat ridiculous tasks to the people who are competing on the show. And they're all comedians. Did Rhett and Link play this game? I have no idea. I think they might have. I think that's maybe where I heard it. <laughs> but it's, I think it started in like the late 2000s or something like that. And a comedian started it and then he always has comedians be on it. Yeah. And so the task will be one of them. <laughs> it was so great. So they're all competing individually 
and filming individually yeah. their attempts, and then they show them all later. And yes, the, yes, Rhett and Link yeah. have been doing this. The yes, the taskmaster has to decide who who did it best or worst or whatever, and so and give points accordingly. One of them was like they they all arrive and they they had just an envelope that's sealed and they open it and they just have to do what the task says. Yes, but they can't get any other information other than what's on the task. Yes, and one of them just oh they open it and it says get goosebumps, fastest wins. So they had to just find a way to get goosebumps. I would have like Googled or tried to find a goosebumps book. Yes. But I guess that would have taken a long time. Someone did that. They got a goosebumps book. How? They were like, they went to the library real quick from like that. Real quick. But they thought like. Did they lose? Because other think, people just got goosebumps on their arm. Well, some people kept trying things for like, like an hour and couldn't like make them look like goosebumps. Yeah. Because it's an involuntary reaction. Yeah. Another one was that I just watched was, you know, sneeze. Whoever sneezes fastest wins. It's like, that's another one. It's like, you could kind of make yourself do it, but it's pretty unpleasant. It is unpleasant. Or there's things like build a bridge that can support a potato yeah. with these objects. Just a lot of random things. And I've been getting so much joy and so many clips on, on YouTube. So if you're someone who wants a little bit of, you know, British humor in your day and likes watching comedians that do dumb things uh, and stuff, then this show may be something that you enjoy. Or you can watch the Rhett and Link version. There's only two episodes, I think, where they did it, but they were also hilarious. I need to watch that. I had no idea. I like Rhett and Link, so I had no idea that these two things overlap. It's not called Rhett and Link. You could watch the Good Mythical Morning episode. Right, right. right. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I only call them Rhett and Link. So. <laughs> so that is the, you know, weird little thing that's been happening in my life lately. That's good. What about you? Um, this is a really dumb one. I, I was like, there's so much good stuff that's happening in my life lately. I'm really enjoying kickboxing. I'm starting this like, um, fitness challenge where it's like, oh, if you get steps, you get points. If you eat enough protein, if you eat like, you know, enough vegetables, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, so that's fun. I like to gamify everyday life activities. So nice. that's like a fun thing. Nice. But the thing that I was like, oh, this has made me really excited. And every single person I've seen, I've told them about it right away. Uh-huh. Um, is I bought some shoes <laughs> and uh-huh. listen, I know you don't care a ton about material things, but I mean, I probably am just pickier about which material things I care yes. about. Well, but and that's I why I think you'll not, appreciate this. Yeah. I'm definitely not, um, what's the word? Completely. You're not trying to buy all the shoes. I'm not untethered from material reality. Right. Of course. Yet. <laughs> so, so I got shoes for my wedding and, um, I don't know if my feet have widened maybe cause I've like gained weight or something, uh-huh. but also I think part of this cause I buy shoes on, online a lot and I wore them for my whole wedding day, but I have not been able to wear them since. Uh, yeah. They just hurt my feet. Oof. And so I don't have any really nice shoes. And so our friend Andrea uh-huh. was wearing these, like, you know, they're Tom's brands, but they're uh-huh. like wedges. So they looked nicer. And I was like, those look comfy. I'll go get them. So I went to a shoe store nearby here and they, they were cutting into my ankle. And I was like, what is wrong with me? That shoes, like the literal comfiest shoes don't fit yeah, or don't feel good. And so I tried on all these shoes and none of them felt good. I sent a picture of one that looked, that felt good, but looked like very grandma-y to our uh, friend. Uh-huh. And she was like, yeah, you can't buy those. You're not a grandma yet. <laughs> I was like, dang it. So then I, I was about to give up cause I had to go to kickboxing. And as I was walking out, I saw these shoes that, they were, they're yellow, which uh-huh. I really like yellow shoes. If you're watching the YouTube, I'm wearing yellow shoes now. I like a pop of color in my shoe. Yeah. And I, 
and they look like they would be very uncomfortable because they're like platform heels. Uh-huh. And I like, you know, wedges that are kind of flat. Uh-huh. But I was like, mm, I've tried on a hundred other pairs of shoes. I might as well try these on. And they were the only ones other than the grandma shoes that didn't hurt my feet. Wow. And they're so cute. And I, and Mason doesn't know what they look like yet. I'm going to surprise him on a date that we have this weekend. And I'm so excited. And yeah, I just, it's kind of a small victory, but yeah. sorry um, for people on YouTube, I guess you can see me. I waved because Jam's wife walked across <laughs> the window. Um, but it's kind of a small victory, but to find shoes that fit and feel good. And I wore them around this morning while I was getting ready to make sure that they really would work for a whole date night. Yeah. They're awesome. That's great. They were so comfy. And I think it's because I've been buying my shoes online. I think I forgot during COVID mm-hmm. that you like, you should go places and try on shoes. Yeah. And then once you figure that out, you could order that same shoe somewhere else you wanted to. Yeah. And you kind of know, oh, this is the shoe that works good for me. Yes. This is the size that works, whatever. But yeah, mm-hmm. the discovery part, the testing out part is yeah. so hard to do. Because the shoes that I've loved that have lasted a long time and been high quality, I've ordered high quality shoes, but they just don't quite fit right. Yep. But I take it from other people. They're like, oh, this fits my feet. Great. Yeah. Don't do that. Try on shoes. Yeah. Especially if you have a wider foot like me. It was yeah. so great. And those... The first pair should have been really comfortable. They looked really comfortable. The sole was really comfortable. It was just, it cut weird into my heel. Yeah. Anyway, so I was really, really excited. There's lots of good things happening in my life right now, but it's just, that's been one thing that I want to tell everyone. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I found these shoes. They're so cute and I can't wait to wear them and surprise Mason with them. And they actually fit and feel good. They fit and they feel good. That's good. Because I won't wear them if they don't fit and feel good. Yeah. I had the opposite problem a few years ago where I finally discovered that my feet are really narrow and I just had no idea. Uh, but then if I look at my feet, I'm like, duh, I just didn't know. Yeah. And I don't really like think, I mean, it's not the kind of thing you can think about comparing to other people. Cause also yeah. people have bigger feet than me. All feet are different. Yeah. It just never really occurred to me. that I'm like, Oh yeah, my feet are narrow and weird. And everybody's feet are different. So you just, yeah. But it's to a point where it matters about yeah. which shoes I get and stuff. And it just took me forever to realize it. And now it's helped. It's kind of unlocked some stuff. But still, yeah. it's like, yeah, the trying on stuff or the getting the wrong shoes and having to figure out the hard way has happened yeah. to me a bunch of times where I just, I'll have to tighten them a lot. Yeah. Because of my little Mine, flip, it's flipper like feet. The, this part right here, like the the box right before your toes, I guess, is, I don't know, is that called toe box? That part is wide. And I, I like on Sperry's and stuff, like uh-huh. that part would kind of bow out. But I think maybe, maybe with gaining weight and maybe with COVID, my tolerance for not being comfortable yeah, went down. And so like shoes that I used to wear and think were comfortable, I, they're not comfortable now. Like I right. had a pair of Chacos for a really long time that it was like one summer I could wear them and the next summer they hurt my feet. Dang it. That's annoying. So... You know, I don't know. Yep. But I found them and um, I guess I can post a picture of them online if nice. y'all want. Can you say, or should we not say the brand or do we care? Does it matter? I don't even know the brand. Oh. Is it like Mark Mark Anthony or something like that? I don't know. They're, it's not a brand I've heard of before, but they seem to be high quality. They were at a place where most are high nice. quality. So. Nice. Cool. And they seem like they'll last a long time and I'm so excited. And it's the first time I've bought new shoes well, like since my wedding for heels, but even before that, I got them as hand-me-downs from friends. Oh, yeah. So I think it's the first time I've bought new, nice heels 
other than my wedding in like five years. Yeah. Dang, that's <laughs> so, awesome. I'm really excited about them. It's a big win for me. <laughs> it's the simple things like that that are essential though, because we have yeah. to wear shoes every day. So we have to like, wear shoes. And sometimes you're expected to look a certain level of nice in your shoes. And I just haven't had that option. Yeah. Yep. I did wear Tevas with a dress to a wedding recently. Nice. And I was really comfortable, <laughs> <laughs> but it was not the most stylish option. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's it. That was my lesson for today and my happy thing for this week. And I'm really thankful to our listeners who wrote in with those questions and the mystery person who asked about whipped cream and to (laughs) you for letting me come and teach you about whipped cream. And thank you for teaching us. And like Melissa said, thank you guys for the ideas. The best upside ideas come from you guys. Like how does cream become butter? Where does whipped cream come from? How does it make that? All that kind of stuff. If you have a question or idea, something you think, might be chemistry, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on our website at chemforyourlife.com. That's chem, F-O-R, yourlife.com to share your thoughts and ideas. If you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the cost of making it, go to patreon.com slash chemforyourlife or type the link in our show notes or the description to join our super cool community of patrons. If you're not able to do that, you can still help us by subscribing on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube and rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts that also helps us to share chemistry with even more people. This episode was made possible. Nope. (laughs) This episode of Chemistry Free Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson, and Jam Robinson is our producer. This episode was made possible by our financial supporters over on Patreon. It means so much to us that you want to help make chemistry accessible to even more people. And those supporters are Avishai B, Bree M., Brian K, Chris and Claire S, Chelsea B, Derek L, Emerson W, Hunter R, Jacob T, Christina G, Lynn S, Melissa P, Nicole C, Stephen B, Shadow, Suzanne S, Timothy P, and Venus R. Thank you again for everything you do to make Chemistry Free Life happen. It means so much to us that you're willing to support us and make chemistry accessible to more people. And if you'd like to learn more about today's chemistry lesson, check out the references for this episode in our show notes or in the description of the video. Yay, chemistry!